Well, good morning, Legacy. I am Steve Brooke, and it is good to be with you here today uh, because here is the deal. Long before you ever heard of me, I knew of you. And so, uh, see, when I moved uh, from the church that I, I led in, in Portland, Oregon, uh, over seven years ago to come here to Florida to be one of the pastors at Christ Church in Jacksonville, uh, um, one of the first people, be, they became my friend, first and fastest friend is Shane Hargrave, your former senior pastor um, from quite a while ago. And, and uh, so as he was telling me his story, of course he was telling me the story of legacy and how legacy came to be. Two different Christian churches who Jesus led to do what Jesus loves to do, and that is unite his people um, stronger together than we ever are apart. And so you have held a special place in my heart ever since then, seven years ago. And so when, then when recently I heard of your serious challenges that you have faced um, over this past year, my heart could not help but hurt for you. Um, but as soon as, almost as soon as my heart's like feeling sorry for you, then my heart goes and gets inspired by you when I hear of your godly resolve um, that's in you as elders and staff and as people to say no to despair, no to pity. Instead, you rallied and you he- your heads held high. You were chomping at the bit to advance and grow God's kingdom and say, we are the church no matter what, and we're going to be the church here in Lakeland. And so I just want to just say you've motivated and you've moved this pastor's heart to just say, who I just love the church in general. And so I just want to say, well done, church. Well done. You guys did it. I just love you and so appreciate you. Um, and, uh, and so I kind of know your story and I admire your, a lot of your story as well. Um, so I, uh, but you don't know mine. And so uh, I was asked today to, um, to kind of uh, share some of my story uh, by a, f- a number of people, including Christy Paul, who is the best friend of the, of the Brooke family. Uh, she's Aunt Christy to us, and she said she's changed a lot of your diapers. So anyway, um, um, she, just, anyway that, that, uh, she said, you've got to share your story. And then when Ross told me that today's message was really supposed to be about baptism, I couldn't help but remember with fondness one of the best days of my life and some of the best chapters in my story. And so... One of my favorite baptism stories is probably one of your favorites too, and that's, uh, that's the story of the Ethiopian official in Acts 8, 26 through 40. So go ahead and turn in your Bibles there, Acts 8, 26 through 40. Uh, but before we go there, I want you to know this, that God loves you and he has good plans for you. See, if you flip back while you're in Acts, flip back to Acts 1, 8, where Jesus tells his disciples what the game plan is going to be. He says, you are going to receive God's spirit inside of you, and you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, where you're at, out throughout Judea, out beyond you, and even in Samaria, in that other place, and to the ends of the earth. And so, uh, did you know the phrase, the ends of the earth, in ancient Greco-Roman literature, was actually a nickname of sorts for the remote land and people of Ethiopia. Think about that for a second. Years before his big famous baptism moment in the Bible, that Ethiopian is already in God's sights. He's already in Jesus' plans. I mean, think about it. I hope that news encourages you today that long before you ever knew him, before you ever drew close to him in faith, God loved you and he had good plans for your life. 
I, mean, I think about my story. I was born in Indianapolis, Indiana with a skull condition uh, that most kids died from or they would be debilitated for the rest of their life if they even survived it. But there was a new experimental surgery happening then and that spared my life. And even though we weren't a Christian family, we didn't go to church growing up. I didn't even have, there was no Bible, not one single one in the house. I remember one time a grandma, love those grandmas, right? One time a grandma was recounting my surgery and she said something like this, boy, you're a miracle. God must have special plans for your life. I mean, it's probably just a Midwest cliche. But I'm so glad that that even just that little bit about him, And that little bit about me got lodged and locked away in my brain because I was going to need it. It was the early 70s. Okay, I mean, anybody like, okay, I know where you go. All right. When I was four years old, my mom became a hippie. Went from June Cleaver to hippie. And she divorced my scientist dad. She loaded a U-Haul, stuck me and my three-year-old brother and our dog in the front seat, along with her in the middle, and there in the driver's seat was a guy named Guy. That's all I remember. Right? I was four. And in this grand quest for mom to find herself, remember that? Right? We drove across the country to where everybody else in the United States was looking for themselves as well. Northern California. Right? And there we found ourselves, all right. And we were living in a wood shack with no plumbing, no electricity, on a mountain, over a nude beach. I later discovered that it was not, in fact, a nude beach. My mom just always thought that it should be. And so, therefore, to us, it was. Right? It was just kind of crazy, but that was my new normal. You know, my dad, in, uh, meanwhile, my dad in Indianapolis, he remarries. He uses the legal system to claim that my mom was a prostitute. She's a hippie. She can't, she didn't have the finances to fight it. So it forces uh, um, this five-year-old back to the Midwest where I had to adjust to dad and this new woman who I'm just supposed to just call mom, but who already has all told me she hates my mom. And so I grew up with parents just bad mouthing and pitting us against each one. It was my weird, crazy new normal. Meanwhile, out in California, my mom and her new Apache boyfriend gave birth to my new sister, Rainy Sunrise. (laughs) Right. Well, of course, because she was born on a hill overlooking a field of horses on a, you guessed it, a rainy sunrise, right? She was a neat sister. I loved her. Um, but I never, I hardly ever got to see her or my mom because my dad and my stepmom hid mom's calls and letters and visits from us. Meanwhile, as if my new normal couldn't get any stranger, my dad becomes involved in the New Age movement you know, of the what, like late 70s, early 80s, and he ends up getting divorced from my stepmom and diving headfirst into the, all these Eastern beliefs and practices. But honestly, it's kind of on the same weird plane as our hippie mom out in California. So this is all kind of, well, like kind of goes with the territory. Who, my mom out in California, by the way, at the same time gets involved in a biker gang. Well, of course, you saw that coming, right? I mean, yeah. Where she would meet and marry... Crazy Wayne. I I suspect that was not his given name, right? 
biker, fisherman, alcoholic, and just a whole lot of crazy. That was his namesake, you know, and, and kind of like my new normal. Because back in Indy, dad gets involved with another lady. Uh, she's one in his meditation circles and ends up marrying her. I didn't like her. I didn't trust her. But it wasn't anything special about her. By this point in my life, I didn't like or trust anyone. It was my new normal. Life is nothing special. And people just let you down. Third grade, I'm stealing cigarettes with the cousins. Fourth grade, I'm saying nasty stuff that I shouldn't be saying. Fifth grade, I am trying shameful things that I don't want to even, even think about. I'm, by sixth grade, I'm watching perverted stuff that I shouldn't be watching. By middle school, I am, I'm drinking, doing drugs with neighbor kids, skipping school as much as I'm attending it. I'm failing classes. I'm lying about all of it. I don't know. Like I was the little kid center. I mean, I was like, ah. And those words from my grandparents had long faded away. I didn't believe it anymore. If I was a miracle, I wouldn't want to wish a miracle on anybody. If there was a God and he had good plans for me, I sure didn't see it. But praise God, the fact that I couldn't see it doesn't stop Jesus from seeing it and seeing it through. Because he was going to change my life. Not with some miraculous zap, but with these three simple things. God's people, good news, and great joy. And they are the same three things that God was going to use to change this Ethiopian's life too. See, if the story starts at Acts 8.26, you've got to go back to 8.4, where God was laying this simple foundation of how he's going to change this guy's life. He says, the believers, that's God's people, right? Scattered out to, and preached, what? The good news about Jesus wherever they went. Philip, for example, he went to the city of Samaria. Uh, uh, remember uh, Acts 1.8 and he told the people there the good news about Jesus people were eager to hear the message and see the signs of God and all this going on and in verse 8 it says so there was this great joy in and throughout that city good God's people good news and great joy that's how God was going to change this guy's life forever and that's how God was going to change this guy's life forever First thing he tends to do, God puts his people into place. As I got into more and more trouble, oh man, I was getting into a lot of it. This new stepmom knew that something wasn't right. She told dad, he hasn't seen his mom in seven years. That's not healthy. That's not right. And that summer, I got to see my mom. I have a relationship with my mom today because of that stepmom. The rest of my life, I will be grateful to her. In fact, her, my dad and her are still together. So, uh, but I will be gratefully, I'll be uh, grateful eternally for what happened next. While I'm away seeing my mom, she, my, my stepmom, she just happened to be talking to a coworker who just happened to be a Christian, who just happened to invite her to church, which just happened to remind my stepmom, oh yeah, I remember when I was young, going to church actually helped me. And then she just happened to go home and tell my dad, I don't know, I know we don't go to church, but when I was his age, it helped me. And this friend at work invited us to her church. And my scientist, new age dad, just happened to say, well, nothing else is working. Let's give it a try. And they started going to this thing called church while I was away. That's so how he works, right? The right, that, that, right per, that one of God's people in, in the right place at the right time with the right reason, with the right words. And, and he, he's working in the same way in this Ethiopian story too, isn't he? Right, verse 26. As for Philip, remember he's been used mightily in Samaria. 
An angel of the Lord tells him, go south down to that desert road, that ghost town road between Jerusalem and Gaza. See, God wants to get you in place for something real special. And it says, so Philip obeys. He starts out. And that's not just the story of one of God's people. That's really the story of the whole church. From a few people in a room in Jerusalem, hidden away in the beginning of Acts, to now, think about it today, his people, his church, almost every nook and cranny of the entire globe. And I'm so glad that God put one of those churches even farther across the globe than Ethiopia from Jerusalem. But right there in my little city. Right? Because when I returned from this trip to see my mom, all of a sudden we're going to church. Now, I wasn't glad at all at the time. I was a teenager. And so thereby I was cool. In my own mind, right? And so I just, uh, it cramped my style to get up on a Sunday morning and go to some place where I didn't know the people there. I didn't know what they were talking about. And I didn't know why they were all so happy, right? And I, I, was, I, was, I was not the brightest tool, you know, bulb in the pet, whatever it is. And I, but I was observant, right? By Sunday number two. I realized, I kept hearing this, I realized Christians don't like the word hypocrite. And so I went to my dad, I said, these people are hypocrites. I should not, therefore, have to go to this place with these hypocrites. But my dad said something truly wise, and he was not known for his wisdom. And uh, he said, you don't know what a hypocrite is, son. And you sure can't call a bunch of people hypocrites after two Sunday mornings with them. So here's what you're going to do instead. You are going to go to every youth group meeting, every hayride they put on, every ski trip they go on, every service they put on, every sermon for the next six months. And then you can come tell me who they are, and I'll maybe listen to you. And my friends, that became my mission. I was going to prove what you really are. So I came to church, all right, with my Ozzy Osbourne t-shirt. My trench coat, combat boots, all crossed arms, scowling in the back corner. When you talked about your week at school and your little groups, I, I would talk about the stabbings, the beatings at my school. Right? I was, going to, I was just trying to get you whatever I could to scare you, to get you to hate me, get you to judge me. Say, I'm a dirty kid. And everywhere else, I'm trying to fit in with whoever would take me. But here with you, Jesus, people, I sure did not want to fit in. I wanted to be repelled by you. But young and old, you didn't hate me. You didn't judge me. You didn't scare away. You pulled up beside me. You met me right where I was at. You were glad that I was there in my Ozzy Osbourne t-shirt like you wanted me to fit. It was as if God put his people into place, that place, just for somebody like me. Just like he did for that Ethiopian. Verse 27, Philip starts out on that desert road, you know, and he meets this Ethiopian right where he's at. Now, back in Ethiopia, he has his great authority under the queen, right? He's big stuff. But here in Jerusalem, he's a misfit, you got to understand. He's traveled all this way to, 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 to worship God, to seek him. But, but being a eunuch, he's from, and from being in Ethiopia, means he's probably only gotten as far as the court of the Gentiles, if, if that. And so, um, he, but he knows that. He kinda, you just kind of know when you're a misfit, right? And he just kind of, that's just the way it is. Now he's returning south, and he's, he's in his carriage, and he's reading aloud from a souvenir scroll of Isaiah. And the Holy Spirit tells Philip, says, hey, go on over and not just, um, not just uh, meet him where he's at, but walk along beside him. 
And Philip did. And he heard the man reading from the prophet Isaiah. And Philip asked, do you understand what you're reading? He sees he's offering to help. The man replied, how can I unless someone explains it to me? And he urged Philip to, to come up into the carriage and sit with him and help him understand it. And he did. No matter the differences, he did. And it says by verse 35, it says, with the same scripture where he was at in Isaiah, exactly where he was at, Philip told him the good news about Jesus. See, God puts his people into place with the good news about Jesus. The very thing that drew Philip to Jesus is what God will use to draw the ends of the earth to Jesus. See, no matter how much of a misfit I may have been, God's people met me where I was at. They loved me. They walked alongside me. They spoke about God's word in words that I could understand. They talked about God's ways in ways that were relevant and simple to my life. And everyone had this greater joy for life than I'd ever experienced anywhere in the world. And from the senior minister, Russ Blowers, to the youth minister, Tony Twist, to, to uh, the, the youth workers like Campbell's and the Krolls and the peers like Mike and Karen and Greg and others, to the, to the ladies, you know, who would just pinch my cheeks and say, God love you. Right? They all kept bringing it back to this one thing. Every time they gathered, every time, the good news about Jesus, the best news ever, the gospel, that God loved me so much that despite my sinfulness and my ability, inability to save me from the mess of me, he sent his son, God in flesh, to save me by being that Christ, right? That word means the anointed one, right? That one anointed from the very beginning to die for me, to forgive my sins, to be that sacrifice, to raise from death, not just because he could, but so I could live forever in this good, peaceful relationship with God as my 24-7 friend. And all of that and more could be mine if I would just respond in faith to the good news. And thankfully, this church was a Christian church. Tried, they had a long history of just trying to make things simple, like the series, right? Simple. They, they said, hey, we boil it down. In the Bible, this faith was as simple as the five fingers on my hand. Hear the good news about Jesus. Believe in my heart the good news about Jesus. Repent, that just means turn the commitment of my mind, turn, turn it from sin to following him, right? But then letting it out, you know, be out, outside of just inside here, confess it with my mouth in my own language, and then beyond language, paint the whole good news picture of it by being baptized under the water with my whole self, right? And I'm so thankful for the Christian churches just trying to boil it all down to the essentials. Make it simple, because I made it simple, right? I did not know the Bible. I didn't know until much later that there were some places that said, believe and be saved. Others said, believe and be baptized. Others said, confess with your mouth and be saved. And others said, repent and be baptized. And, and, and it would have been so confusing. But it was like the Christian churches had this history of writing faith for dummies, right? I mean, that's kind of what the Christian churches were, were known for, just being able to search the scriptures and make it simple for us. They, they said, here's the ways that the people 
responded back then, and here's how we can still respond today. You hear the good news about Jesus, you believe it inside your heart, inside your, inside your mind, you turn to it, and you let it outside too. You confess it with your mouth, and you be baptized. You don't nitpick it, you don't scrutinize it, you go all Nike and you just do it, right? Do it all, right? If it honors God, it honors God, you should do it. So, and you know what? They were right. Right, because that Ethiopian, upon hearing the same gospel, right, the same gospel, good news of Jesus, what was his response? In Acts 8, 36 to 38, as they rode along, talking about the good news of Jesus, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, look, there's some water. Why can't I be baptized too? And he ordered the carriage to stop, and sure enough, they went down in the water, and Philip baptized him. See, Philip didn't say, you need more instruction." The Ethiopian didn't say, I need more time to get myself together, right? He may have been a misfit in Jerusalem. He may not have known everything in the Bible. But he knew this one thing. This good news of Jesus was for him and he was going to get it. Same with this misfit here, right? The love of God's people, their good news, and the joy that they had, no matter how much I was resisting it all, it was wearing on me. Because everywhere I was trying to fit in this world, I didn't fit. But by the weird grace of God, the one place I didn't want to fit, I fit. (laughs) And so six months into my freshman year, when I was supposed to be walking up to my dad and telling him who you are, the hypocrites that you are, I walked down an aisle just like this one. And I surrendered my life to Jesus Christ. And like it was yesterday, I remember Russ looking me in the eyes and and asking me, Steve, do you believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God? Do you accept him as your Lord and your Savior? I I didn't understand what one bit of that meant. But the mustard seed of faith in me said, yes, I do. And I can't remember if it was that day or the next week or that month. But just like that Ethiopian, I do remember going down into that water with Russ You know, and he asked me that good confession again. He dunked me under that water, and I came up. And when I came up out of that water, I don't know why, I was happy. I don't know. It wasn't because there was some kind of, you know, the, the mirror, the water did anything miraculous, right? I knew that. But because this was the picture of the miracle that God had done in all of history, and he was doing even in me. Jesus died, and he rose again. Right, He died to forgive my sins, and he rose to new life to give me an altogether new life. In fact, the original word for baptize, it wasn't a religious word at all. It was a common, simple word from the home in the marketplace. It meant to immerse, and you've heard that plenty of times. But it usually, when it was used, it was usually referred to dyeing cloth, right? You dunk it down in it, and it comes out what? Changed. New. I was dirty and sinful, but because of him, I was cleansed. And forgiven. I was spiritually dead and empty inside, but he filled me with the best thing ever his spirit. In fact, in that five finger thing, they would always put the palm as the Holy Spirit said, The Spirit's gonna help you live the life, right? And so it's just, this was wonderful. And it's changed. Um, and his spirit, think about it the God of the universe promised to live in little itty bitty form inside of me. Right? That changed me. My my need for a lot of things like drinking and drugs and cussing and skipping school and and perversions, all of a sudden, it wasn't like I felt guilty about it. All of a sudden, it just got crowded out 
Because God's spirit fills you. And when you get filled up by his spirit, I didn't need so much other stuff to fill the void anymore, did I? And God's spirit also helps you. He helped me navigate this Christian thing, in, you know, this Christian life thing. And in college, I did something really dangerous spiritually. I tried morphing my, my family's new age beliefs that I grew up with, with my church family's Bible beliefs. And I kind of created this one made up, messed up version of Jesus. Yeah, yeah, uh-huh. I, yeah, I'm telling you what. And then I started teaching other people it, uh, including in the church um, as, a, as a young man. And, and, uh, but, but as God is my witness, his spirit tricked me. I'm telling you what, because he, he tricked me into picking up a Bible. And, uh, and I'm so glad he did, because from the first sentence I read, which is a wild story for another time, he confronted me, he corrected me, he changed the course of my life, because later that year he said, Son, the word that you are reading and you are consuming and that is changing your life is what you're going to teach for the rest of your life. See, I've got plans for you, and all of a sudden, words from grandparents long ago all of a sudden rush back. It is not a cliche. God really did have good plans for little old lost me, right? And I had God's spirit. Now I had his word as well, helping me to live for him. And I needed it because I was a young man, right? And uh, God, you know, God's word and his spirit and his people, I think they all teamed up on me. To let me know, hey, you know, God's got plans for you, but you're, you're uh, Steve, your girl crazy, going to kill you Jesus crazy. That's, that's kind of what, what I kept hearing. And uh, his spirit convicted me to stop dating and start praying. I mean, like, to do God's will, don't, you know, and so I just started saying, God, I am not looking. I'm not looking anymore to who's on my arm to validate myself. I'm looking to you and what you want me to do. Now, as long as I'm praying for the next year or so, um, if you happen to have somebody special for me, I have started a list. And I will continue making that list. She's got needs to love you more than anything. You need to be filled with your spirit. And lots of grace and, grace and patience, obviously. Right? And on and on. And I added in pretty a few times. Right? Because Jesus said, if you don't ask, you might not get. So, I mean, I, and look, no joke. Uh, 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 after a year or so, God brought this Renee Franklin into um, uh, to our church where we volunteered as youth workers together. We became friends. And was she pretty? Yeah, 1980 Johnson County Fair Queen pretty right there. Mm-hmm. And uh, when my thick skull realized that God's spirit had listened to little old me and brought me all I'd prayed for and more, we dated and we got married. And next summer will be 30 years with this gal right here. Love you. She is my best friend and my partner in ministry because the year after we married, we started ministry in that church. I was a youth minister, I was a preaching minister, an evangelism minister, and so all of it, over 10 years, we just saw hundreds and hundreds of people trust him and be baptized and follow him and, and, and use their gifts, and that church also equipped me in church planting. And sent me out to Oregon, uh, the most unchurched state in the country, uh, to plant churches. In fact, Portland is where they wanted to send me, where the the motto was, keep Portland weird. And they were like, we're sending the weirdest one we know. (laughs) And, uh, And it was hard ground, but we kept it simple, right? Just be God's people with good news and a great joy. And people responded. Even atheists hung out with us. And pretty soon they're trusting Christ. And and they're baptizing more people than I am. 
I mean, they're baptizing the whole families. And, and no joke, in that decade, we saw nearly a thousand get baptized in Christ and follow him. And, and uh, marriage is saved. And I mean, all kinds of amazing things during that 10 years. In fact, during those 10 years, our kids, our three kids, all at different times, right? Um, say they, they went all in for him as well. And so for the past seven years, uh, we've loved ministering in one of our uh, Christian churches here in Florida. And we've been blessed to witness nearly a thousand more responding to Christ in faith. But it's not the number. That impress me, and it shouldn't impress you either because think about it that's 30 years of ministry, and I haven't even witnessed yet as many decisions as the early church saw in day one. Right? So don't let the numbers impress you. What impresses me is this still to this day, every single response of faith jacks me up, fires me up with joy inside. It's like every time I hear somebody say those words, I believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, my Lord and my Savior. Every time I see somebody coming up out of that water, it's like I hear God saying the same sentiments that he had at Jesus' baptism. Right, where he goes, time out, everybody, this is my kid, this is my child, my son, my daughter, this is mine. I love them so much, I'm over the moon, so proud of them. This is mine, he is mine, she is mine. I mean, and, and, I mean you want to make me smile, you want to make God's people smile. Even better, you want to see God smile. Want to find joy in what brings God joy? You trust Jesus. Respond to him in faith. Be immersed in him, not just in baptism, but immersed in his love, his forgiveness, his word, his spirit. Just be all in, immersed in his joy, because that Ethiopian did, right? It says in uh, verse 39 of Acts 8, it says, When they came up out of the water, he went on his way rejoicing. Because see, he's, now he's in. He's in. He was no longer on the outside looking in at God and looking in at God's people. He had now had the best news. He had the good news of Jesus. He was one of God's people. He had God's spirit inside filling him with the greatest joy. And God's joy is contagious. It spreads. Ethiopia became one of the first of the, of, of the Christian nations in history. Probably in part, you know, because this guy brought the gift of God's people, good news, and great joy back to his world. And it spread. I mean, talk about ministry. Talk about impact. Worldwide impact. But all that impact can be traced back to one simple day when he just said yes to Jesus. Sometimes I think about my life, and I I pinch myself. God has blessed me so much. I shouldn't be alive physically. I shouldn't be alive spiritually. But by the grace of God, I'm both. For as dysfunctional and chaotic and faithless as my family was, to be coming up on 30 years of faithful and fun marriage with three kids who know and love the Lord and are are, are helping others know and love him too, decades of living in the grace and the purposes of God, I know the sinner that I am. I don't deserve his blessings. And yet, I can't help but know that I am blessed. But like that Ethiopian, I can trace it back to to that day, that moment, that season, right? In a room much like this. When I just walked down that aisle and I confessed those words, I believe in Jesus Christ. And I was baptized under that water in Jesus Christ. See, God's joy, it starts in Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. I've seen plenty of miracles. 
in my life. But honestly, that day wasn't one of them. I mean, it was just so boringly simple. A simple mustard seed of faith confessed, a simple picture painted, a simple command obeyed. But the longer I live, the more that I am convinced of this. Confessing Christ as my Lord and my Savior, being baptized in his name, best thing ever in my life. And so today, as we have followed the Ethiopian story of faith, as I've told you some of mine, I know this. You've probably caught yourself thinking back on your own story. Right? And I want to ask you, maybe this, is, maybe this is where you're at. I want you to go away from today. Maybe, maybe you remember the day that you confessed your faith in Christ. Maybe you remember the day that you were buried under water in baptism. I want you to think. I want you to think this, this week. Think of it often. Remember it with fondness. Maybe, maybe even write it down. Okay? Tell it around the dinner table with family or at the coffee shop with friends. Send it to me. I mean, I'd love to hear it. But as you recall it, recall it, would you find yourself recalling it more and more as the best thing ever in your life? Or maybe you've believed in him for a while and you do follow him. But for one reason or another, you haven't taken that opportunity to say it out loud and proud in front of others. Or maybe you haven't had that opportunity to, to be able to paint that picture of baptism yet. But you feel that tug, right? I want to follow his example because he was baptized. I want to obey his command that says his disciples need to, 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 to trust him, right? To, to be baptized, to, to be even just display it, be proud of him. You feel that tug. Or as you think back on your story of faith, maybe you realize you haven't responded in faith yet at all. But God's been tugging at you. And here's why he tugs at you. Because he loves you. And he really, really, really does have a plan for your life. He has the best in mind for you. So what you got to do is you got to tune out the other distractions and the voices and the fears. And you got to step out in faith and obedience with him this week. Make that your mission this week. Or maybe like today's hero, that Ethiopian, maybe you need to step out in faith today. And you can. Your staff are around today. I'm around. Your Christian friends and family are around. The baptistry's filled, right? Talk to us. We will help make it happen for you. Members of your, your prayer team are even going to be up here in front during this next song. So if you're needing prayer or you, you want to make a commitment to the church or, or just in case like today's hero, you need to respond and respond in faith Right here, right now. Today could be your day. And if it is, I can promise you this. One day you will look back and you will say, best thing ever in my life. God, you are the best thing that's ever happened in our lives. That we can become your children. That we can become your people through the best news ever. The good news of your son, Jesus Christ. And that through him we can experience the greatest joy in life through the greatest forever friendship with you. And so we are God's people and we can't help but just pinch ourselves a little bit because we, God, you've been so good to us. And as God's people, all God's people, we say together, amen.